0: It's Thursday, August 25th, 2022, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. I'm Jonathan Voigtis, senior writer at the Hoover Institution, and I'm sitting in the chair of Bill Whalen, the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism, so that he can answer questions and provide commentary about California policy and politics in which he's well versed. Bill Whalen, in addition to being a Washington Post columnist, writes weekly for Hoover's California On Your Mind web channel, and edits and publishes Eureka, a quarterly forum featuring analysis and commentary from Hoover scholars and California's top thinkers. Whalen is joined today by Leo Hanian, Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and Professor of Economics and Director of the Edinger Family Program and Macroeconomic Research at the University of California, Los Angeles. Leo also writes twice per week about the policy environment of the Golden State for California On Your Mind. A uh, Good day, gentlemen. Let's talk about the latest developments in policy and politics in the Golden State, Uh, Lee, let's start off by discussing your California on your mind column this week entitled, quote, Amazon no longer finds California to be the golden state. Uh, You explain, quote, Amazon recently announced that they are canceling or postponing plans for building new warehouses and distribution centers within California. Media stories have sugarcoated this move as part of a broader development by Amazon to delay opening facilities due to a slowing but a closer look shows that several of the planned Amazon facilities in California are probably never going to be built, costing Californians thousands of jobs, unquote. Uh, Lee, is Amazon really suffering from an economic slowdown or are there other reasons why it's pulling the plug on the building of these facilities?
1: Yeah. Well, Amazon is delaying opening warehouse facilities and transportation facilities and other parts of the country. And the media has just laser locked on that one part of the story. Hey, the economy is slowing down and this is why Amazon is pulling back. But um, Amazon in California is an entirely different ball game. <laughs> Amazon tried to get building permits for two very large facilities and was turned down. One uh, in the city of Oceanside in Southern California and one in the city of Hayward in Northern California. Uh, can't open up those facilities without a building permit. So, not so much the slowing economy there, rather, it's really California regulations. Amazon also wanted to uh, open um, a large facility, I think close to 200,000 square feet in the city of West Covina, which is, uh, depending on how you cut it, it's a little bit of, it, you know, it, it would be a longer drive bedroom community of Los Angeles. It's about 100,000 people. It's a, it's a low-income community. Median household income in, in uh, West Covina is a full third lower than the rest of the state. Uh, and the news that Amazon was going to open up a facility there, which was cheered on by the mayor of West Covina, and who worked very, very hard to make that happen, uh, the Teamsters and other unions decided to le- to lob a protest against Amazon, claiming that Amazon is an exploitative employer, and uh, we and and in other words, unions didn't want Amazon in West Covina. Well, a little bit like what Amazon did in New York with AOC, Amazon didn't really take more than a nanosecond to think about it. They said, "Okay, we'll go somewhere else," right. uh, just like they did to AOC in in New York. Um, so yeah, the economy's slowing. Um, Amazon's not really slowing. They, in fact, they they might bid as much as eight billion dollars for a new healthcare platform. So they've got they've got money to invest, but California is not going to be the place where they're going to be carrying out those plans, or at least to the extent that they thought they were some time ago.
2: Okay, Lee. How do they get on the wrong side of California? Are they? Do they run sweatshops? Do they not run a high wage? Are they anti-LGBTQ? Uh, whose sensibilities do they offend? In other words, how did Amazon become bad guy? Because I want to uh, share with you a memo that they put out on California not long ago. But how did they become a heavy? Yeah.
1: So, you know, back in the day, employers used to think that cities and communities would welcome them when they wanted to come in right. and up shop and create some jobs. Uh, but th- those days are gone. And despite how innovative Jeff Bezos and uh, Amazon management is, they were a little late coming to the party that, hey, they're not always wanted. So Amazon is an easy card to pick on because, of course, Bezos, being have, you know, having become so wealthy, uh, from his invention of Amazon. Um, and you know, a, a, a slight, uh, a slight disclaimer, but we, we have benefited much more from Amazon than Jeff Bezos has benefited from us. The wealth he has created for all of society, uh, is, uh, thousands, maybe millions of times as large as what he's created for himself by, uh, by right. starting it. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, Amazon, they hire. Uh, they hire a lot of workers. Well, at least some workers. Um, you don't have to have a college degree to work in the warehouse facilities. You don't necessarily need a college degree to drive those trucks. So you know they're not out there paying fifty dollars an hour. Um, yeah. And you know we know what's going on with unions. They do not want a non-union employer setting up shop in their backyard, and that's exactly what's going on now with uh, the Teamsters in West Covina. And um, you know the poor mayor. I feel for the fellow, yeah. um, H- Hispanic guy, who thought, "Hey, I'm going to bring hundreds of jobs here to my community," and poof, that's what that all went up in a in a cloud of smoke.
2: Yeah, Lee, you and I are old enough to remember um, back in the 1970s when a jingle came out called Look for the Union Label. This was a very clever advertising campaign uh, by the International Ladies Garment Workers Union. And what they were doing, Lee and Jonathan, was they were reminding women who shopped for their kids' clothes that the clothes you're buying may be made by we fellow women. Just really, really kind of a bright bright approach to selling their wares. California is, I think this is a, one of California's mantras, look for the union label, because oftentimes these policy clashes just involve that, unions, and Lee's absolutely right. This is about the uh, this is about both Amazon and its Teamsters going head-to-head over one issue, which is which one is better at job growth and security. Uh, Lee, there was a column in Vox uh, online publication last month, which um, uh, was just fascinating to read because it revealed this memo that uh, Amazon put out internally, a strategic memo about how to uh, go to war with the teams or do battle with the Teamsters in California. And what they did was they looked especially at uh, creating hiring pipelines for underprivileged students and workers in lower income communities in Southern California. Let me read you a little passage from this, guys. Quote, the memo proposed that Amazon seeks accords with school districts in Southern California, such as the Los Angeles Unified School District, to create a continuous pipeline of workers for Amazon jobs from local community colleges. The memo said a school district partnership would support, quote, some of Southern California's most vulnerable students, and such an effort would also help meet the company's hiring needs by connecting full-time community college students with jobs at Amazon. If successful, the company would then seek to strike similar partnerships with the San Francisco Unified School District. It continues, quote, in the Inland Empire, the memo proposed orchestrating an overhaul of workforce training programs in conjunction with city agencies and local community colleges. The initiative will create pipelines for Inland Empire residents to access middle-class careers that support home ownership, retirement savings, college savings, and the building of generational wealth, a mock press release said. Lee, this strikes me as leverage, leverage by local leaders, leverage by the governor, leverage by Sacramento to say, okay, Amazon. We want you here in California, but you know what? We want you to kind of dig in and help and do as opposed to maybe cradle-to-grave welfare. Uh, we want cradle-to-grave opportunity. And so, okay, we want you to get involved in the lives of our school districts. We want to help create pipelines so that kids can have summer jobs with Amazon and kids can have careers with Amazon. That to me sounds to me like very smart government lead, but here we have just the opposite. where the government's sitting back and letting Amazon and the Teamsters fight this out.
1: Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, there's a case where probably a little bit of goodwill can go a long ways. Um, yeah. Amazon can make some investments in the communities, right. and um, and I think you know, I think probably the rate of return on those investments is is going to be pretty high. Amazon, obviously, and you know, deep pockets. Um, they have a fair number of employees who are what I would call um, unionizable, meaning that. Right. The truck, you know, the truck drivers do the same job. The people in the facilities do the same job. Um, those are jobs that could be unionized. So the Teamsters and other unions, they look at Amazon, they say, we want to get a piece of this action. Right. Um, and of course, Amazon, you know, not surprising, doesn't want to deal with those unions. Um, and you know, Billy, <clears throat> really, really nobody wants to deal with those unions <clears throat> anymore in the private sector. Um over a third of American workers were unionized way back in the day, back in the 1950s. And the private sector today is under 6%. And a lot of those are legacy workers who uh, you know, have been there you know, 35, 40 years. So <clears throat> it's sad to see this. Um, it's sad for the city of West Covina um, because this is a case where really everybody loses.
2: Yeah, it does. Now, uh, full disclosure, John, to the mention, I write for the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos. So technically, it's under the very broad umbrella of of Amazon, which also includes such outfits like Whole Foods. Uh, But I just look at it this way, Lee, if there's one thing that the state of California is falling down at, and that is getting kids educated that there's just too many tough school districts, LAUSD, Oakland up here in the Bay Area where I am, where just kids come out of high school and they're just not prepared to really compete in life. And it's shame on the state for doing this. So again, I like the concept of leverage. Amazon wants to be in California. It's where it does a lot of business right now. A smart governor, a smart local leadership would go to Amazon and say, we want you to be part of our community, but here's our terms. And that again would be going back to the educational process and getting kids on some of the pipeline where they can get employment. You know, Ironically, at the same time where we're talking about forgiving college loans right now, there's a university of kids in California who either A, probably should not be going to college, I know it's a harsh thing to say, but really college is just not in the cards for them, or B, can find work that doesn't necessarily involve going to a CSU or UC for four years, such as going through the community colleges, which ties into what Amazon offers. So again, here's a chance for California to be innovatively, but it seems just too beholden to union politics.
1: Yeah, it, it is. Um, unions remain um, some of the most important political supporters for the state's Democratic Party. Right. And Bill, what you're talking about is um, is really a de facto enterprise zone. So we remember right. back in the day with Jack and Ronald Reagan, and you know, we tried to create enterprise zones by giving businesses some uh, some tax incentives to set up shop in in, uh, in low-income communities where where kids needed something to be able to do. And those were very, very successful. So now we're talking about, hey, we could really have the same thing happening here. Um, be a great idea. Um, California schools are, you, know, you might've thought <laughs> that they couldn't get any worse, but they have right now, two thirds, two thirds of California kids are not reading at grade level. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just pause and think about that for, for a second. Two thirds of our kids are not reading grade level. And reading's a complex activity. It, it, you know, once you fall behind, um, it's difficult to catch up. Uh, we've talked many times about how kids in the state are falling behind on science and math, um, and that roughly, you know, the median Hispanic student and the median uh, African American student, if they're in eighth grade, maybe, maybe they're performing at fourth grade level. Uh, not obvious they are. Um, but this just has horrendous implications for the future of the state. When you think about the kids are, you know, the kids are illiterate and they literally, you know, a 14 year olds can't really don't know how to add a two digit number and a one digit number mm-hmm. competently. Um, this is this is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. And yeah, Amazon is the is the golden goose
0: and, uh, and
1: we're chasing it away.
0: Bill, let's talk about your Washington Post column this week, um, which describes Governor Newsom's ambitions for a greener economy, uh, which is also on collision course with his with the accommodations he needs to make for his um, residents' energy necessities. Uh, As you write, Newsom is a shoo-in for re-election, but should be should he run for president in the near future? Quote, projecting an air of competence as California governor, at least one who doesn't leave huge swaths of his constituents in darkness, would be essential to that effort, unquote, uh, to mandate that all new passenger vehicles approved today by the California Air Resources Board um, sold in the state must be zero gas emissions by 2035 and tasking the California Energy Commission to generate at least 25 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2045. The governor has still insisted that the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, which constitutes 10% of the electric grid, remain open beyond its closing in 2025, and he plans to loan pg $1.4 billion to do so. Uh, meanwhile, the governor is battling lift over support of Proposition 30, a ballot measure that, quoting the San Francisco Chronicle, would, quote, raise the income tax rate for wealthy people to pay for programs to get more drivers into electric cars, unquote. Bill, with with the, with his balancing act, uh, running for president and managing the state <laughs> at the st- same time, ostensibly, um, on keeping the Diablo Canyon plan and pushing aggressively his green agenda, will this pay off? And On Proposition 30, why is he squaring off with Lyft?
2: Well, he says he's not running for president. We'll take him at his word, but his actions, um uh, we'll get to another issue in which he uh, did a flip-flop, which suggests he's presidential. He just announced today he's giving $100,000 to a Democratic candidate in Florida running against uh, Ron DeSantis. It sure looks like he has national ambitions. But uh, no, the, the thrust of my piece was that uh, then-candidate Gavin Newsom, uh, running for office in 2018, said that he wanted the Diablo Canyon nuclear reactor to go offline uh, in 2025 as it's currently scheduled. And now Governor Newsom Newsom has had a change of heart, and he's pulled to 180, and he is uh, trying to convince the legislature, let's keep this uh, running for another 10 years, keep it going through 2035. And as you mentioned, he wants the state to uh, loan PG&E, the utility that runs it, uh, $1.4 billion to make this happen. This is going to be a very contentious argument Uh Let's see, There's uh, the legislature's out in six days, the end of the month. Uh, there's already an alternative plan inside the legislature to spend $1.4 billion differently and close down Diablo Canyon. But Newsom may have 2024 ambitions, but he is uh, a governor living in 2022 and 2023, and he has a problem. And the problem is that California does not have a reliable electric grid. Uh, it gets hot and uh, demand outpaces supply and the lights go out. If you shut down Diablo Canyon, that Reactor accounts for 10% of California's electric grid. There's no way of making that up. And so he's guaranteeing blackouts across California. And if you do buy into the idea of him running for president, um, a blacked-out California is a pretty bad visual. He's running for president of the United States, not president of Venezuela. So, that explains his uh, turnaround on uh, Diablo Canyon. But here's the problem, Lee: uh, it's not just the flip flop on Diablo Canyon. It's now imposing this uh, the carb, as Jonathan mentioned, imposing this mandate uh, only uh, only new cars being sold in California in twenty come twenty thirty five have to be electric, and there are uh, thresholds before that in terms of quotas of sales. It's being carbon neutral by twenty forty five. And- and I look at the state right now, Lee, which does not have adequate renewable resources. Uh, We're relying upon hydropower. We're in a drought right now. Uh, we can't supply electricity. We're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on electricity and batteries in particular, which are problematic. Um, this all sounds really good. It gets the governor great headlines. Borders, California look futuristic. But Lee, you know, what happens when the lights go off?
1: Yeah, Bill, I, uh, I mean, you said it so well. I don't have much to add there. It is shocking. It is shocking that in a state that already is so challenged with Diablo Canyon online, it is so challenged in terms of meeting the time of day demand for electricity um, right now, (laughs) Uh, and that we're not—you know—we're—we're—we're suddenly going to be plugging in 15 million new electric cars. Um, You know, where where is that going to come from? So I, th- I think what's going to happen is if I was a betting man, I would bet the Diablo Canyon will be online not only through 2035, but I suspect through 2045. Yeah, And if it's online through 2045, it will save California about $22 billion in higher energy production costs because nuclear power, even coming from the 50-year-old technology, which is embedded in Diablo Canyon. Um, mm-hmm. Nuclear power is just so much less expensive to produce um, on, on on a wide scale. Our grid is incredibly unreliable, as as you noted. Um, I you know I, I mean I think Gavin once he became governor and you know they've been hammering at him. I mean scientists from Stanford and MIT have been knocking on his door since he became governor, saying you are going to have a huge problem if Diablo Canyon goes offline. Yeah. Finally, it's gotten through to him, and now he. <laughs> so now he's thinking, okay, well, I guess we better keep it around. And by the way, our failed utility PG&E, we're going to have to give them a billion and a half dollars to keep it going.
2: Yeah. So Lee, you're an economist. I want you to look at the market side of this. Uh, So years ago, Elon Musk uh, showed up really out of nowhere. Well, he'd been prominent in Silicon Valley, but the rest of America didn't really know him until he introduces the Tesla. And at the time, Lee, he wants to be basically the Henry Ford of electric vehicles. He wants to sell all Americans EVs. Uh, and the idea is that he'd be able to sell affordable electric vehicles to people that, you know, your electric vehicle he would sell you would compete with a lower end Honda or a Kia uh, for middle class purchasers, people for whom this may be a second car, not a luxury purchase. But the reality is you buy a Tesla now today. I haven't priced one. I have a couple of colleagues who own them. I think they're five dollars or $70,000 brand new. So that Cal average Californian out there who's buying an electric vehicle, unless the market corrects Lee, and somebody comes along like Henry Ford and finds a mass production low-end EV, people are not going to be able to afford new EVs. They have to find used EVs, which are problematic in terms of old batteries. Um, the second issue this brings, though, again, Lee, with the idea of the market, uh, will people really go electric? Will will more electric vehicles be made in California? Um, I shared this information with one of our colleagues, a very prominent histor- uh, economist. And he responded uh, rather acidly. He said, let's buy a car dealership in Reno." <laughs> in other words, will you buy a gasoline-powered car in a nearby state and bring it in? How will California react to that? Will they punish you for doing that, if you will? Uh, and that leads us to the question of Proposition 30, because on paper, Gavin Newsom should be supporting this. Why? Prop 30 raises taxes on the wealthiest Californians and the proceeds go to help people buy electric vehicles. Why does Gavin Newsom oppose this? Because Lyft is behind this initiative. There's yet another California mandate that requires Lyft and Uber to, I believe, do something like 90% of their traffic by electric vehicles by the end of the decade. That means Lyft drivers, Uber drivers need to buy EVs, and they would like to have the state help finance that. But Newsom does not like the ride shares. And Lee, you might remember this because you've written extensively about a previous fight involving ride shares, AB5. Why does this governor, why does the state not like ride share companies?
1: Yeah, um, you know, there's a big difference. But you know, we were just talking about Amazon. So Amazon is the uh, is the big deep pockets company. Lyft and Uber were considered to be transformational. Um, they still, as far as I know, haven't turned a profit. Um, Lyft did have enough money to contribute fifteen million dollars to Proposition Thirty, uh, which, in my opinion, is um, is is a terrible law. Because it raises, it, you'll have the highest in earning taxpayers in the state confronting a 15 plus percent marginal rate. Um, Bill, I don't know. You know, I was going to ask you. I mean, around Palo Alto and Stanford, um, what I'm seeing in Southern California, I'm seeing more and more cars with license plates from Texas and Nevada and Arizona, Idaho, Utah, Florida. They're all they're all from the same states. Yeah, you know, nobody from uh, no Illinois place, um, no Pennsylvania place. I'm seeing Florida and Texas, Utah, Nevada, Idaho, Arizona, and mm-hmm. um, and so these people are moving. And that doesn't mean they're not living in California anymore. It just means they've changed their legal residence, so they no longer they're no longer going have, to have to pay seven figure tax bills. um you know it, it's interesting bill. Um, I, not that I know details about musk's tax situation, but um when he decided to move, uh-huh. he may have cost Sacramento uh, over two billion dollars in capital gains tax revenue from his sales of Tesla stock so California, once again, um, <laughs> it was able to kill the golden goose. Um, but, yeah, Newsom doesn't like the right shares. Um, AB5 was, um, AB5 essentially destroyed the business model of Uber and Lyft. Right. And then, of course, they spent, I don't know, about maybe 60 or 70 million uh, I don't remember the proposition's name, but they essentially got that, you know, they got AB5 reversed just just for them. Um, but, um, let's remember, it, well,
2: let's, you also remember Newsom uh, did several carve outs on AB5. For example, one of the first groups that he helped out were freelance writers in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, yeah, Kel Priest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, and that's, you know, and again, just kind of circling back to what we were discussing before, um, an l- awful lot of what, of what passes for laws in California are essentially try end runs to try to give benefits to union right. unions. AB five was, was nothing other than a payoff to unions to try to get people who are happy to be independent contracts to force them into, 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 um, employee employment relationships. So they could possibly be poached by unions. Um, you know, it's interesting bill, um, in terms of uh, you know, I don't know, we, we might get to the fast food, uh, the fast food bill later on here, but uh I'll just throw out one tidbit, which is um the fast food bill, which would create is that is that 257?
2: That's assembly bill two fifty-seven, yes.
1: Assembly bill two fifty-seven, yeah, that would create a 13 member um uh non-elected politically appointed panel. Yeah, state council on wages and hours and working conditions. Right. Unless, unless the, unless the business is unionized. Right. Unless the business is unionized. So, um, yeah, just, you know, I, 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 I'd love to be able to come on one of these shows and say, Hey, we got some good news for Californians.
2: Um, but, but. Well, you, you, you talk about it up as down, down as up ballot fight. So proposition thirty does the following: it raises income taxes on people earning more than two million dollars a year. That money goes to, in part, zero emission vehicle purchases and infrastructure. In other words, chargers, things like that, to keep the EVs running. Half the money for incentives would go to people in lower income communities, and the share of the money for infrastructure would be used to install charging stations and apartment buildings. A portion would also be used to fund wildfire prevention <laughs> efforts. So you're going to tell me that one of the most Progressive Democratic governors in America is going to oppose something that, number one, soaks the rich, number two, gets us off of fossil fuels, number three, reaches out to poorer communities, number four, fights firefighters to save the planet, and he's going to be opposing that.
1: Yeah, he is. He um, he understands that this would end up being an implicit subsidy to lift an Uber. Um right. And uh, and there's actually I mean, you know, there's good economic reasons why we shouldn't be necessarily subsidizing Lyft and Uber in that particular way. But I think for Gavin, this is a bit of a vendetta and, you know, by gosh, he is not going to let Lyft buy its way into the hearts and minds of California taxpayers and have them subsidize a company that he really doesn't like very much at all.
2: And by the way, the ballot measure that you mentioned, Lee, to uh, to overturn AB5, Newsom did not take a position on that. He stayed out of the way because he did not want to get into a firefight with the ride share companies, which, among other things, have very deep pockets. Uh, Lyft has spent $15 million on this campaign. They'll probably spend another 15 or so on television. So again, it puts this governor in a very, very odd situation where he's posing things that on paper, at least he is all for.
1: Yep. Yep. It's, uh, you know, strange bedfellows. Uh <laughs> It it yeah absolutely yeah
0: uh, gentlemen there there is a series of contentious bills to be settled in this legislative session Lee you mentioned AB two five seven which would establish a state council overseeing working standards for uh, working stands for fast food companies um, and there's another AB two one eight three uh, which expands options for farm workers to vote in union elections and enjo- and join collective bargaining contracts and there's also another set of COVID bills uh, restrictive COVID bills that would require school children and all California employees to get, at, get vaccinated and require local police to get vaccinated. Um, gentlemen, do any of these bills um, have a chance at passage and clearing the governor's desk? And how do they, um, you know, some of this discussion uh, surrounded the optics of Governor Newsom, should he, uh, should he be considering a run for president? How, how, how do they impact that at all?
2: Well, 257, as Lee mentioned, this establishes a state council to, among other things, set working standards for fast food. Uh, Speaking on behalf of my fellow Americans who actually eat too much fast food, um, I think it's a bad optic for a governor looking to nationalize himself to get into a war with McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and companies like that. So I'm not sure it comes down on that one. The one I'm actually more interested in is uh, what we mentioned. Uh, you mentioned, AB 2183. This expands voting options for farm workers. And Newsom vetoed this a very similar bill last year. Uh, he vetoed it right after the recall election when he uh, had the support of farm workers and unions keeping him in office. Uh, what's different this time around is that there's a lot more pressure uh, on, uh, on him from the part of the Farm Workers Union. Uh, this puts him in a tough spot. He would like to help out his friends in, uh, in uh, labor. On the other hand, though, there's the question of election integrity. And you've heard the phrase ballot harvesting, which is uh, going around and collecting ballots and uh, delivering them as a third party. This essentially would be doing ballot harvesting for farm workers, pun intended, harvesting in this case out in the fields. And there's a question of voter integrity, if they actually if this could be done in a clean way. And this is why he vetoed it last year. But now if he is indeed looking at running for a national office, he doesn't want to get sideways with unions, which takes us back to what he um, may be doing on um, uh, with his fight against Amazon. He's going to side with Teamsters. Uh, does he really want to pick a fight with farm workers who also tend to be heavily Latino, another factor here for national? politician. So yeah, I'm keeping an eye on to see if he flips on that one. Uh, and then the COVID measures you mentioned, um, there are two of them in particular. One requires all kids to be vaccinated uh, California schools. The other requires local police to enforce public health orders. In other words, leaves in Santa Barbara and the Santa Barbara County uh, Health Department decides to do a mask mandate. The Santa Barbara Police Department would have to chase Lee around the block, telling him to put on his mask. Once again, Lee, if you're running for national office, the image of kids being lined up to be vaccinated or the police chasing you down to put on a mask. These are very bad optics.
1: They really are. They really are, Bill. And and um, I hear you as, as saying you know, these are going to be tough bills for Newsom to sign. I agree with that. And you know the issue. Um, I mean, speaking as a guy who um, who got who got stuck twice with Pfizer and who got boosted by Pfizer, the vaccines now are largely irrelevant. Uh, right. I mean, the variants that are out now. I don't think I don't think you can find anyone um, in virology immunology who will say, "Hey, you know what? What's what, what's what's in those vials now?" Um, New stuff may come along and probably will, but what's in those files now is really irrelevant in terms of protecting. Them. In fact, there is some data that suggests that um, the the more the, the, the more original uh, alpha strain vaccine that you received, um, the more likely you are to uh, to get the BA five variant, which which is not something we really had had expected. Um, um, but yeah, this again, you know, it's intrusive. Um, Transmission from kids to adults again is you know is quite rare. Cases among kids tend to be very very mild. Um, right, and uh, and you know and with the farm workers, um, you know he might be able to fall back on constitutional grounds because um, I don't know. Uh, a number of those farm workers may not be eligible to vote in any case right. so there could be a lot of court challenges there that that might be a way for him to bail himself out on this
2: it could be but to put some sideways or two voting blocks the uh, covid bills are not going anywhere in the legislature apparently there just there's no appetite for it which is telling in itself that uh, lawmakers just don't want to go down the mask and vaccine route as well um, but again, you know, this is more baggage for Newsom. He does run for office. We were the last state to reopen from COVID in terms of our schools. Yes or no? Yes, I believe we were. Uh, we're synonymous with being to the far left on this. It puts him in direct odds with Ron DeSantis is one of them. And I see many policy piece where DeSantis plays himself off as the anti-California in terms of his COVID policy. Uh, but, you know, these are just all really delicate maneuvers for Newsom, which I think ties to maybe the next thing we ought to talk about, which was his change of heart with safe injection sites.
0: Yeah, yeah. On, uh, on Monday, um, Governor Newsom vetoed legislation that would have uh, to cite Politico, a of people in Los Angeles, Oakland, and San Francisco on trial basis to use illegal drugs under medical supervision at so-called safe injection sites. In his veto, the governor said, quote, is it possible that these sites would help improve the safety and health of our urban areas, but if done so without a strong plan, they could work against this purpose. He goes on to say that these un- un- unintended cons- consequences in cities like L.A., San Francisco, and Oakland cannot be taken lightly. Worsening drug consumption challenges in these areas is not a risk we can take. Um, Going back to the theme of optics, is you really concerned about the lack of leadership on the local level in these pilot programs? I will be cynical and beyond on this, Lee,
2: because um, first of all, as a mayor of San Francisco, Gavin Newsom would have been all over this. Uh, This is the man who is very fond of gobbledygook phrases such as localism is determinative. So this is localism, plain and simple. The bill would have created three pilot programs in Los Angeles, San Francisco and Oakland to uh, see what would happen in the short term over safe injection sites. But he vetoed it just as Jerry Brown vetoed it. Now, Jerry Brown vetoed it in 2018 when Newsom was running for governor, uh, saying this is just going to lead to more crime and more drug use. And Newsom didn't say he supported the time, but he said he was open to the idea. But now come the time when he has to decide what to do with this, he opts against it. And from the language you read, it's very kind of Well, kind of weasel words. It's just kind of vague, nothing specific about it. Uh, One thing which I'd point you guys to, having worked uh, for Pete Wilson when he was governor back in the 1990s, there's a lot of uh, decision-making that goes into um, bill signing or bill vetoes, not just in terms of uh, yes or no on the bill. It's the timing and the symbolism of your act. Um, There are bills which you sign and you showcase because they're good for you politically. There are bills that are no-brainers. You sign, they just kind of go out in press releases. There are bills that you veto veto uh, with great fanfare. And then there are veto bills that you veto. Uh, and you release those on uh, four o'clock on Friday afternoon, what we called Black Friday back when I worked in the governor's office. These are typically for Republican governors. These are bills having to do with the you know, the social safety net. And so you know the interest groups will come down on you like a ton of bricks for it. <clears throat> what was struck me as interesting about the SB57 veto was that Newsom did not dumped this on Friday afternoon. He had to do it uh, earlier this week, uh, faced a deadline. He did not do it late on a Friday and try to minimize the damage. He instead released it on a workday, which shows that he actually was kind of not hiding the fact that he did it, which, again, suggests to me very cynically, Lee, that he's thinking about how this plays in the other 49 states, saying, aha, I'm not quite the lunatic you think I am. I'm not in favor of drug of drug use. Uh, because, again, that would have been just the devastating optic for him. This would be the governor of the state where you come and roll up your sleeve and you get to shoot up at the <laughs> the state's benefit. Lee?
1: Bill, I agree 100%. The um, When you mentioned Weasley words, uh, the reason he the reason we, he went with Weasley words because he couldn't say You know, I'm going to be running in 24, and politically, I just can't take the chance of having my opponent show show videos of people shooting up fentanyl and passing out uh, under 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 a nurse's supervision. That would guarantee I would lose. So that's I think that's the only reason that he um, that's I I think that's that's the predominant reason why he's doing this. Politically, he just couldn't he just couldn't take the chance of something like this because, I mean, Bill, outside of Washington and Oregon and some parts of New York and Massachusetts. I mean, where where would that, maybe some parts of Chicago?
2: Well, at least it would play in about 10 to 15 states in America. And uh, essentially, Jerry Roberts is a, a longtime San Francisco journalist. He uh, uh, he likes to blog in California politics, and uh, he put out a really nasty blog uh, post a couple of weeks ago saying if Newsom runs for president, you'll get 10 states. Uh, that's interesting. That's the same number of states that Dukakis got in 1988. And you could see the Republican playbook against Newsom very similar to the one against Dukakis, where number one, you belittle the guy personally. But then secondly, you just hold his state up for account. But then you say, my God, this is a mess. Don't you dare let him be in charge of America. Um, Newsom has a tendency to be ahead of the curve. It's part of the brand, being futuristic, looking down the road, and sometimes it gets him into political trouble. You might remember back in 2004, gents, when as mayor of San Francisco, he started handing out marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Well, history shows that Newsom was on the right path. Ten years later, that's where the country was. Barack Obama finally came around on it. So did Hillary Clinton. Newsom was ahead of the curve, but in real time, it was a Devastating thing to happen to his party because he starts doing this in San Francisco. Republicans see an opportunity. They promptly put a ballot measure on the ballot in Ohio, which defines marriage as between a man and a woman. Uh, that ballot measure gets something like a half a million more votes than George W. Bush did in Ohio. It basically carries him to victory in that state. And without that ballot measure, he maybe loses Ohio. John Kerry is president of the United States. If you're on John Kerry's presidential campaign in 2004, you're forever bitter with Gavin Newsom for having done this. So his doing safe injection sites that might have been ahead of the curve, maybe 10 years from now, the country has a different view. Maybe they see this as humane, but in the near term, which gets into the optics of 2022, 23 and 2024, bad moves. So again, this suggests that maybe in terms of being the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-futuristic governor, he's becoming much more pragmatic in terms of what it means for his national ambitions. It sure is looking at me like the 24 run is coming, Bill. I mean, we've talked about this a
1: few times before, but... Um... A, you know, kind of nine out of nine out of 10 things he does now or says now you sort of see fingerprints of 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 national prominence prominence on all of those
2: yeah now, I'll throw on one caveat for the national ambitions thing, because I've been talking to way too many reporters about this the past few days. Uh, the governor, as I mentioned, uh, just announced earlier today that he's going to uh, uh, donate $100,000 to Charlie Crist. He's the Democrat running against uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida's governor's race. Uh, we're trying to find out if he's going to donate it out of his own campaign coffers. He has like $25 million in the bank, or if he's going to make a $100,000 donation himself. I think I know which which one he's going to do. Um, But in terms of Newsom uh, being more involved in races like this, here's the question. Uh, He can put an ad out on Variety Lee, and go after Hollywood for you know telling them don't you dare invest in Georgia don't don't do your productions in Georgia and Tennessee and these backwards red states. Uh, I'm not sure if a Hollywood is going to listen to that. We'll see. But b in terms of Newsom's personal involvement in these races, it's one thing for him to tweet against Ron DeSantis or tweet in favor of Stacey Abrams, but especially if you're Stacey Abrams, you're running a very tight race in Georgia against the incumbent Republican. You don't want to have Gavin Newsom maybe on the ground. It's that great phrase that uh, uh, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, invoked in 2018, don't California my Texas. And so if Gavin Newsom were to show up in Georgia to campaign for Stacey Abrams or in Florida for a competitive race, how easy for the governor of Florida or the governor of Georgia to say Stacey Abrams or Charlie Chris wants to California your Georgia. They want to California your you're, you're, you're Texas. Um, Newsom has a hard time defending that because, again, this gets us back to the idea of having to defend his state's actions. Lee.
1: Yeah. Well, Bill, you know, I was intrigued by the the number one hundred thousand. So I thought that was the minimum number you would need to kind of make a splash. Right. Um, when we know make a make a media splash with that number, um, DeSantis has a uh, I, don't, I don't know where this came from. I read one hundred thirty-two million. Um, in his coffers, yeah. um, and um, and right now, I think the Betty markets are looking something like ninety four percent for DeSantis. <clears throat> so this 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 hundred thousand dollar donation from Gavin just seemed to be I don't know seemed to be political media window dressing to me.
2: Well, it suggests that he has money to burn in this governor's race, which he does. He's running against Brian Dahl, who I think you've been talking to, Lee, uh, a nice guy, but he doesn't have any money in the bank. He doesn't have any name recognition. And you know this is a mismatch on paper. Newsom's going to beat him probably by 25 points. And if he has $25 million right now, he can probably double that uh, by Election Day. He can't possibly spend it all. If he does, it would be overkill. So what's he going to do with this money? It's, you know, I don't want to be too snarky about this, but which is a better use of Gavin Newsom's charities at $100,000 for Charlie Christ? or? Maybe take your surplus money from your campaign and regift it inside of California.
1: Yeah, I have to speak with Brian Dahl. Um, I think he's got a lot of good economic ideas. I think he's um, he's very much a public spirited person. Yeah. I don't know if he has more than three million. Um, yeah. And you know, current surveys show that people just you know they, they just don't know who he is. Not that they have a negative opinion; they just don't know who he is. He comes from a rural area. He's a farmer. Um, so, yeah, Bill, you're right, he, Gavin can't spend it all. Uh, it would indeed be overkill, um, such as the political landscape in California. Um, but, you know, I do, I, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, do you think this might come back in any way to uh, th- to bite him in the sense that, um, hey, this, this, this was just a token grandstanding way of getting your 15 minutes of media fame by making this contribution to Christ?
2: It comes back to bite him, Lee, if things change in California, and I would appoint you and Jonathan to the Department of Finance's numbers in July, which shows that revenue is down in July, suggests that maybe the economy is cooling off. And Lee, the economist, I don't know if this is driven by housing or, or just a uh, downward market, if you will, capital gains, but if money dries up in Sacramento, then things change for the governor very fast. But it does suggest this, he can either be involved in the lives of Florida and Georgia and these other races because he generally cares about the uh, the plight, excuse me, of the Democratic Party and what's a feisty party. Um, But there's a school of thought inside of Sacramento that he is also bored with his job. He has survived the recall. He has faced death and survived death. He knows he's going to be reelected and he starts looking at his options. And what are they? Well, he could probably run for Dianne Feinstein's seat in 2024 and he'd probably win it if he ran. But does he want to go to Washington and be a legislator? The people I know who are close to him say that he enjoys being an executive board and a legislator. He doesn't want to go go to Washington. So it's probably the presidency. There's some people who think he actually doesn't want to run for president. He wants to go make easy money after he's governor and his wife wants to step into the void of uh, Oprah and uh, Maria Shriver and Meghan Markle and kind of the good life lead down in Montecito, closer to where you are. Uh, we don't know. But well, these actions do show that his eye is elsewhere. And if God forbid there's something bad in California, economic turndown, down, or the one thing which we don't like to talk about, especially I don't because I'm superstitious. The big one, an earthquake. Because when was the last big earthquake here, Lee? What, nineteen ninety-four? We're almost thirty years overdue for a big metropolitan quake. Then he has a problem because not only is the economy get dinged, but now he is in the spotlight as a manager. Wilson, who I worked for in 1994, he was given—I hate to say it—the gift of an earthquake because it showed that he had good managerial skills, and he was rewarded. Um, managerial skills are not Gavin Newsom's strong suit, as we've seen with the uh, Vaunted Economic <laughs> Recovery Task Force and other things. So, how does he deal with the crisis?
1: Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's interesting you note that about that. That people may think he's bored with his job. I could see that from the standpoint of. Um, Hey, he, he 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 doesn't really face politically relevant opposition given supermajorities, you know, everywhere with the Democratic Party. Um, solving problems that have been with us. For a long time now, not just on his watch, but solving those problems would require a lot of money, a lot of political leadership, right. uh, and would never get solved on his watch. There's just not—I just don't see there being a whole at this point in time. I don't see there being a whole lot of positives for him uh, to make further investments in his uh, in his governorship in California. So, yeah, why not look? Why not look outside? Uh, is obviously not the right thing for California, but from the standpoint of the self-interested Gavin, um, I would understand why he's at that stage.
2: Yeah, there's, by the way, uh, I'd point our listeners attention to a, a piece in The Atlantic written the other day by a journalist named Connor Friesdorf, and it, uh, the headline is Gavin Newsom, the Rod DeSantis of the Left. And this is a fascinating read because uh, you think The Atlantic, they go, boy, they're just going to hoist Newsom on their shoulders and parade him around as the great progressive lion. And this column is just the opposite. It's written by a guy who lives inside uh, California and just complains about Newsom being distracted by what's going on in other states. And uh, here's, the, um, here's the end of it. Let me read it to you. Newsom's current approach is perfect. And MSNBC needs a voice to please its progressive base, but elevating him in politics will be fraught for Democrats. As for the ongoing partisan warrior shtick, I have nothing in general against, say, Twitter spats with the governor of Alabama. I reject her values too, but as a Californian dismayed by my beloved state's problems, it's not how I want my governor of all people to spend his time. Uh, In other words, the view from outside California, from journalists, at least of Newsom, is this is a really attractive guy. It's a second coming at Camelot. He and his wife are very attractive with the young kids, yada, yada. California, what a wonderful place to be. But if you're inside the belly of the beast, the view is quite different. And again, this gets into his running for president. And if he does in 2024, I I worked for George H.W. Bush in 1992, and we thought we could really hang Arkansas around Bill Clinton's neck. Bill Clinton did a very clever job of using Arkansas in terms of being a son of the South. I grew up in the Civil rights era. I'm very enlightened. But he did a very good job of distancing himself from the state at the same time. So you just couldn't hang him with your state's 47th and this and 48th and that and 49th and that. So if Newsom runs this gets back to the, um, the veto of SB 57, he's going to have to he'll have the luxury of having California as a brand in the primaries. But boy, come the general election, he's going to have to do a little distancing from California itself for these reasons we've been talking about, about how there are just so many kind of ready state videos to use against
1: Yeah, I mean, median single family home price is now $900,000. Schools, you know, schools are 44th in the country in the latest ranking. Um, It is among the top three highest states in tax burden. I mean, you just go down the list and I mean, if you're not living here and enjoying the beaches and the fact that it's 72 degrees on, on New Year's Day, um, you, you know, you look at California and just say, my God, what has gone wrong with that state? And who is this guy that's been governor there for the last four years? Um, so, yeah, Clint. Uh, um, I don't know, Bill, you you you, you know him. Um Interesting parallel between him and Clinton. I I, I always thought that Clinton was a master politician among the greatest, among the most successful politicians, certainly in my lifetime. I don't see Gavin at the same level of competence as Clinton was in terms of being a politician who could just turn things on a dime and get you to believe in them and think that they were, you know, you're their best friend within 30 seconds of meeting him. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if he would be able to do that quite as well as uh, Clinton did back in 92.
2: I don't – yeah, Clinton just has a brilliant strategic mind. He's kind of like Richard Nixon in that regard, also just a great strategic thinker. And Newsom is just not a strategic thinker. He's a guy who has several luxuries in his life. I mean not just having the privilege of knowing the right people in the Bay Area, uh, but also he's in a state where Democrats out- not Repub- outnumber Republicans two to one. He's in a state where there's a Democratic supermajority in Sacramento. He's just not threatened in any way by competition. The only way to threaten him is either to try to recall him, which failed. Or just fight him piecemeal at the ballot. Um, but otherwise, he is really the king of California. But it changes if he runs for a national office, because now instead of, you know, you know talking progressive ideals in California, he's going to have to defend California and be just very incendiary. But the one thing I'd worry about, and I hate to play this card because it's kind of intellectually lazy at times, and it's just the media. In that, you know, just as you saw in 2016, the media, for example, would not go down the rabbit hole of Hunter Biden's laptop. I'd be very curious to see how the media would approach a Newsom candidacy in terms of wanting to really be critical of him. Because, again, he's just absolutely what Democratic-friendly you know, journalists in Washington are clamoring for. He's younger than uh, Joe Biden. Well, who's not? He is just you know, glamorous. He and the wife, it looks like Camelot. They all lust for California in some ways. He's exactly what they'd love to bring to Washington. Will they actually dare criticize him or not? So that's why the Atlantic article caught me as interesting as somebody inside of California willing to kind of call him out.
1: Yeah, you know, Bill, it's uh, what I wonder about is once those, uh, again, speculating, but once those ads of um, showing images from the streets of San Francisco and people right. passed down on fentanyl and um, that if, yeah, 13 million people are living either in poverty or near poverty. I and mean, when you just go down, you know, you just go down the list and see those ads. I mean, to what extent can they ignore those? Maybe Maybe they can, but then you sort of ask yourself, hey, if you're in Ohio or Pennsylvania or Michigan um, or Indiana or Wisconsin or one of those states that could go either way, is Gavin you know, is Gavin Newsom
0: your guy? Well, gentlemen, as always, this has been very interesting, timely analysis. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, fellas. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, the Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balanced power here in America and around the free world. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you might hear it. And if you don't mind, please spread the word. Get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hooverinst, that's at Hoover I-N-S-T. Bill Wayland is on Twitter. His handle is at Bill Whalen, CA. And Leo Hanian is also on Twitter. His handle is at Lee underscore Ohanian. Please visit the Hoover website at hoover.org and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, where you can access the latest scholarship and analysis from our fellows. Also, check out California on Your Mind, where Bill Whalen and Leo Hanian write every week. Again, this is Jonathan Roberta sitting in Bill Whalen's chair this week. He'll be back for another episode of Matters of Policy and Politics. Thank you for listening.